Hey guys, Paul Reddick here. Welcome to the Baseball Dads Podcast. The world of baseball and the youth and especially the high school game is changing so rapidly. These rapid changes are bringing about a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration for today's parents that are trying to bring their son up in the game. So the purpose of this podcast is to use the experience of dads who have already gone through this journey and have navigated it successfully so we could take aim at that confusion and frustration and knock it out. We're going to talk to these dads about what they did right, about what they did wrong, what they would do more of, what they would do less of, and they're going to give you their advice for today's parents that are going through this game. So stay tuned for today's podcast. And make sure you go to BaseballDadsNewsletter.com where you can get a free trial in our monthly Baseball Dads Newsletter. So without any further delay, let's get on to today's show. Hey folks, welcome back to another edition of the Baseball Dads Podcast. So today we're doing another interview and I'm excited um, uh, for this episode only because uh, we have a great guest. His name is Dr. Josh Heenan. And we have, uh, we've met before in, in the past. We have a mutual friend, a great pitching coach named Phil Rosengren. And uh, Phil had shared one of his blog posts that um, if you are an athlete that is uh, developing or a pitcher that's developing in that, but in that I mean, you know, you're in high school or you're moving up, um, he wrote a blog post on what you, qualities needed to throw 90 miles per hour. And I, I, I read everything that Phil puts out. He's such a good, good guy. And I clicked on this, and I was like, man, this is great. This is, this is a, such a great post, um, especially if you are in that phase, and um, just inspired me to in, invite uh, uh, Josh on the show. Um, we'll point you to um, all of this information as uh, as we go on, but Josh, first of all, welcome welcome to the show. Thank you for making the time today. Hey, thank you, Paul. I'm really glad that uh, Phil connected us. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so go on, let's give the, the, the one-minute background of everything. Tell us all things... Um, Dr. Josh Heenan. Yeah, so I am I am a doctor of integrative medicine, I'm board certified doctor of integrative medicine, which is not a medical doctor, has a more similar scope to a uh, naturopath, chiropractor, PT, so get some manual skills in there. But really, I consider myself an educated meathead. I'm a strength coach at heart. Um, that's <laughs> really where we see our, our, our uh, bread and butter with our athletes. Um, I spent I've been past 10 years or so in the private sector, uh, had our first guy crack the majors. We've had him for eight years, um, Troy Scribner with the Angels, uh, which is, you know, a great great thing to have. Um, it's nice to have guys that are in the majors training with us, but it's really having a guy come through our program right at right the beginning of college all the way through minors and, and all that is, is big. And um spent five years as a head strength coach for Sacred Heart University, uh, D1, small D1 school in um, Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, and that's that's my spiel. Yeah, awesome. So I, I always like to start off with this question. Well, well, let me let me back up first. One of the reasons I really wanted to have him on the show is I want to discuss this this ninety mile per hour formula that that he's come up with that I think is so great. But also too is that I think when uh, we've had Mike Reinold on the show and, and other guys that are kind of in your universe, you give us such a unique perspective of what goes on with a pitcher. So I think. You guys kind of see all the things that go wrong, you know, when you're working with pitchers. Yep. And you also kind of be, you're also a big part of the corrective process. But I think game coaches and stuff like we kind of can get bogged down sometimes, you know, in, in, in that stuff. We can lose sight of it. So that's, that's the first thing. But, um, I just wanted to, to mention. So let's say I always like to start with this question. Let's say we're sitting at Starbucks and we're, and we're having coffee and I got a 15, 16, 17 year old 
kid who's developing, showing some potential, and I'm trying to, I'm trying my best as a dad to, you know, to, to give him the best opportunity. What do I need to know? Yeah, my my big thing is is first you got to keep the goal the goal. So if if your if your kid is you know someone that you really believe and they they you believe they can reach that next level, whether it's college ball or professional then you got to give them those opportunities to actually uh, be realistic with, with those expectations. But we want to build well-rounded athletes. So if you move well and, and then you add some strength to that, really good things happen. We've had, we've had probably getting close to 100 professional athletes through our doors and through our program over the years. And the, the one thing that is runs through with every single, single one of them is they're multi-sport studs in high school. Most of them are all state and one or two sports, and 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 we want them to be well-rounded because you got to figure out what race you want to be racing. And and I see a lot. We're you know one of our hubs is in uh, both of our hubs, excuse me, are in um, Fairfield County, and you know we got a, a type, very type A um, personalities running around all the time, and it's great. It, it creates a really good environment for development. But we got to figure out what race we're running. And if the race is to have your kid on ESPN when they're 12 years old, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But you also have to understand that do you want them to be playing when they're a senior in high school or a freshman in college or trying to make the majors? Because if you're running the race to get them only prepared for that next step of making the Little League World Series, I think I think you're, you're not really looking at it uh, straight on and, and not giving your kid an opportunity to really develop. Right. Yeah, it's funny. I think it's almost. I almost feel like we've talked on other podcasts. I almost feel like we've moved the majors down, right? Like making it used to be like you know getting a scholarship or going to the pro, you know the pros are playing in college. Now it's kind of like, can you get on that? You know, the the, the most important thing is like this next thing that's kind of coming up. You know, um, these tournaments or in showcases and stuff like that. So, absolutely. I love that you said multi-sport athlete because I think that is super important. I just had two emails this morning of dads asking me similar questions. So I'm 100% in agreement on that. I think there was a stat. You might know it, but one of the was the NFL draft, I think. I don't remember the exact Oh, the majority. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah something like 83% of, of all guys that were drafted in the NFL played uh, at least two sports throughout high school. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. quote me on those numbers, but I think it's somewhere around there. It was the majority. I, let's we could we could say that for sure. It was definitely the majority yeah. of the first round picks um, played that. So let's talk about this this ninety mile per hour formula because this is. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to encourage you guys to. We're going to, Josh is going to give out all his info, but go to Josh uh, JoshHeenan.com and, and search for this post, the ninety mile per hour formula, especially if you are the age that we talked about. For my money, developing that – now, as we were talking before, that our program is very simple. Our program is definitely for an athlete who's starting to train. It's getting control of your body. But this is like, to me, this one little slide that you have up. It's like dropping the pin on, on, on your, your mobile app, you know, your, your – your, what am I trying to say? Your Maps app on your phone. Yep. I want to move to, I want to move to this town called 90 miles per hour. And what do I need to get there? This is the first thing that I've seen, and maybe I just missed it, but this is the first thing I've seen that says, here are some real measurements that you can kind of shoot for. Let's just talk about this. How did you come up with it? What was the you know, research? And I want to hear all about it. All right. So, so the 90-mile-an-hour formula was, was accidentally discovered about eight years ago 
Uh, I was training uh, a guy by the name of uh, John Murphy. He's now a um, Army coach, uh, baseball coach, was in the Yankees organization for a little while. And and I realized that a lot of the qualities he had um, were very similar to the other athletes I've had that throw 90. Now, John was a shortstop um, in college, but, you know, could easily crank it up to 92, 94 on the bump if he, if he was out there. So I was trying to figure out how, how do we string this along and how do we create a roadmap that not only we can have guys aim for, but also can kind of guarantee us they're going to be able to throw 90 and know that they're going to stay healthy. And that's, and that's the thing that I think most people see online, especially Twitter where it's gained some, gained some traction is that the 99 hour formula is not, is not only a parameter for me to say, all right, if you can do these things, you can throw 90 miles an hour without question. Um, what it really is is a great balance of the body, making sure that we we have the right movements down so that you can do this as long as you want to do it. Uh, I don't think I, I think getting someone, you know, like our pro guys, we want to get them in the majors, but I don't want them to make the majors. I want them to stay in the majors for 15 years and be mm-hmm. healthy. So, and that's the same thing with our high school guys. So. That's that's where we came up with it, and uh, and I've really teased it out. And now we've used it with if you include other people that have reached out to me and have implemented it into their own training, we're getting close to a thousand athletes, and we have yet to have one that can hit all the metrics uh, on on the ninety mile an hour formula and can't throw ninety miles an hour. And there's there's some caveats in there as we go through the um, the bullet points, but um, the caveats are that sometimes they can't translate it onto the mound, which is which means that there's a breakdown on the amount of mechanics. Right. So let, let's go through this kind of step-by-step, because step, what I want to make sure is that as we give out this formula, you know, these, these four measurements, that we also talk about that. Um, so when you say uh, a deadlift, um, 400 pounds for one rep, um, I want to make sure that we don't send 116-year-old Right, right, right. So let's go through these one, one by one. Um, I, I have it in front of me if you want me to read them off, and then you can kind of talk, or, or if you want to go I'll, through, I'll, it's up to you. Yeah, I'll talk right through them. So, so the first cool. first sure. category is is our uh, momentum potential. And really what I see is that we need to be able to generate enough momentum. Uh, this comes from myself. I'm 5'9". I was 155 pounds in high school. I played low-level college baseball, um, junior college, uh, and then got cut from a D1 program. Um, I could hit all these metrics except my minimum body potential, excuse me, minimum uh, momentum potential, which is our height in inches times 2.5 equals our minimum ideal body weight. So if you're looking at a guy like me who's 5'9", um, you want to have me at about 175 pounds is our minimum ideal body weight. And we just look at that as a, as the metric that is run, run through with all of our athletes to know that they have enough muscle mass to generate the force, but also enough muscle mass to protect their body from the forces that we're putting on our body when we're throwing this hard. Um, I believe that the, the optimal range is somewhere between 2.75 and 3.25 uh, times our inches in height is the optimal range, but I, 2.5 is definitely the minimum that we see. In pad, so let's, let's, so let's take that if we're a, a, a six foot kid, um, we're looking at two, you're smarter than me, man. You can do the math. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at about, we're, we're looking at about a buck 80. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Give or take. 
Um, yep. Yeah, and that's and that's like I said, that's just our general baseline that we're looking for. Uh, the next the next bullet point is uh, our force production. So literally, the ability just to put force into the ground. That's where we're going to generate our our force that we can transfer into the ball on the mound. And we want our deadlift to be 400 pounds uh, for one rep as a minimum. Now, now, like you said, we don't want to be sending people to the hospital. We're looking for good form. We're looking for neutral. Uh, and I don't and I don't discriminate between uh, with this one. We don't discriminate between sumo deadlift, conventional deadlift, trap bar. It doesn't matter to me. There's different, you know, another topic for another day, but. Everybody's body types can be a little bit different and more efficient at certain patterns as far as strength um, strength building and strength training. Um, so we're just looking for that minimum baseline saying, you know what, if you can if you can pull 400 pounds off the ground, that means, one, you're healthy enough to deadlift, you're healthy enough to touch your toes, and, two, that you actually have that force production available. So that's, that's our next um, category as far as our force production goes. So let's say now I am – okay, I'm a dad. I hear this. Um, I don't know. Does my son, I don't even know if my son does deadlift. Do they deadlift? Like what? What would be the steps to make sure that we start doing this safely on a deadlift? Um, you know, I, I could give out the the kind of canned answer like you want to make sure you have a coach watching you, which is fine, and and I think that's important to make sure you have someone modifying and um, making sure that you're qualified to do it. We look for can you touch your toes, and then let's start you with a kettlebell uh, in between your legs. Um, just as a regular kettlebell deadlift, making sure you have a neutral spine so you don't see any flexing on the spine, whether it's from your lumbar, thoracic, or cervical vertebrae, um, and no extension there either, nice and neutral. And then just picking that um, that kettlebell off the ground and standing nice and tall, erect, and then controlling it back down. And then from there, you can start progressing it. Um, I think I think what's lost in a lot of the training is is we want to be we want to be great movers first. Like we talked about, you want to be great athletes. I want to create really good movers first. So if you deadlift with a rounded spine, your neck's looking up, and and you're just you're trying to hit that 400 pounds, that's not going to really lead us into the good movement patterns that we need to be able to throw hard and stay healthy. And that's our ultimate goal. Right. You just said it there. So this is like the fight that I was is, is throwing hard and staying healthy. And I think um, so I. I I you know I don't want to show off I mean but I have deadlifted 405. I'm just gonna say just gonna put it out there. Uh, it was one time. It was one time, and I haven't been close to it since. But it was actually a funny story. Do you know Jim Smith from Diesel Strength? Yes, I do. Um, okay, so he's he's like my best friend. He's one of my one of my two best friends in the world. And so uh, he he made me a bet that I couldn't do it. And so I'm not a good like I'm Irish, right? It's not you know and. So it took me like eight weeks, and I got there for one rep. And he can deadlift like five fifty. And I said, "Look, right. man, you've been training, you've been lifting for twenty years, and in six weeks, I became eighty percent of the lifter that you are in twenty, like another three or four weeks. And I'm, you know, I'm going to blow past that that five fifty. <laughs> yeah, he didn't like that, but yeah, um, no." <laughs> So uh, the question, but the, that's the key. Is I think we see a lot of things out there that is the act of velocity. So I see these new mechanics, which I'm kind of I'm kind of confused at how Nolan Ryan was able to throw 100 miles an hour with those old mechanics. Um, but these new mechanics are, you know, uh, supposedly going to throw harder. And what I see is a lot of people sacrificing. I I, I like to say they pay a higher price per pitch. You know, okay. to get that extra miles, you know, where, where they're compromising mechanics to throw harder. 
to wide up a radar gun. And so I know that I could probably go and deadlift 400 pounds now, but I know that I could not do it with good form. You know, I knew if I rounded my back and I picked up, you know, and, and so I think a good point to make here that I want to get your opinion on is, is let's talk about that when form falls apart, um, we're putting ourselves at real risk of injury, whether we have a weight in our hand or a baseball in our hand. Am I, am I correct in that? Uh, yeah, and I and I think I think everything gets blown out of proportion as far as weighted ball goes and and deadlifting a lot of weight. We have guys that that deadlift five six close to seven hundred pounds, and they go to their major league organizations and they say, "All right, now that you're with us, we don't want you to deadlift more than two twenty five. You can go as many reps as you want." Well, first of all, I think the reps are going to higher reps. You're going to break down, likely break down more just because of general fatigue. So that that's a big red flag to me. We've already trained and developed our athletes to handle that force, and they're handling it efficiently. And that's what we want. We want mechanically efficient movements. And the night, the thing that we see a lot with, like, our UCL injuries is we see, um, for, the, for the, the nerds and science people out there, we see what the SFMA would call, our, one of our screening processes, a cervical spine rotational SMCD. All that really means um, for, for a general population is that you can't naturally move your neck without having some compensations. Now, if you think about what we see a lot of times in, in our deadlifts, and something that drives me nuts and I'm in the process of putting a post together on it, is when we're deadlifting, and if you watch videos of people deadlifting and they have their head up where they're actually in um, hyperextension of their neck when they're going to grip that bar on the ground and they're looking straight up and they can see, if they were looking in a mirror, they could see themselves, that yep. position is not only mechanically inefficient for for you know, general day-to-day moving, but also it's going to start training patterns of dysfunction in our neck and core stability because our our core really, you know, our trunk stability, core stability, whatever you want to call it, runs from our hips all the way to our neck. So if we have a dysfunction at our hips, it can migrate through our neck. And if we have something at our neck, it can migrate down to our hips. Now, if we're dysfunctional at our neck, we're going to be dysfunctional at the joint's next to it. So where are we going to be dysfunctional? We're going to be dysfunctional at the thoracic spine, cervical spine, and the shoulder. Well, if we're dysfunctional at any of those levels, it's going to throw off our mechanics when we're throwing. And it might not happen overnight, but, but you know, if you start to crank up the innings and get more reps, now you start asking for trouble. And we, we have an opportunity. I would say to our athletes and to our coaches, we have an opportunity every time we walk into the gym to get better or worse. And if we're not getting better and we're not becoming more efficient, we're actually doing our athletes and our clients a disservice. So every time we touch a bar, we need to be moving more efficiently. Anytime we pick up a weighted ball or a baseball or anything, we want to be teaching more efficient mechanics so that we have less of an opportunity to break down. And that's something that we want to drill in, even if it's something as simple as a deadlift. I don't care about our athletes hitting the 90-mile-an-hour formula unless their next, pay, their next paycheck is derived on it. What I care about is them being moving more efficiently. So if we have a guy that's at 225 and wants to get to 400, well, he's got to hit 250, 275 before he hits all those other things with really good form. I hope every pitching coach that's listening to this and every coach that's listening to this is inspired to go find somebody in your area like Josh. Because when you like everything, this is how we talk about the four pillars of working with people who can help us do what we want, what we're trying to instruct our players to do. And there's so many things he said in there. You should hit the back 15, 20, you know, hit it back uh, the the 15 second thing on your on your phone and listen to that again because 
I'm telling you guys, that is the difference. The difference is having somebody who understands those little things about technique, about um, position, and how those things affect the rest of the body. You might have a kid with a shoulder problem, and it might not be a shoulder problem. It might be that he's using bad form in, you know, with his buddies in the garage in the weight room. And how are we going to know that unless we pull on these guys who are so brilliant that can help us figure this stuff out? So thank you for that. That was awesome. Um, let, let, let me ask you this, though. It's just one more question that's deadlift. Guys are going to train for and stuff like that. I know how 16, 17-year-old kids do. They're going to see how it goes every time they go in the weight room, how much they yep. how much they have. How often should we be testing that? And, you know, just give me your thoughts on that. I think, you know, it, it's, again, it's where the end goal is in mind. We won't, we will hit maybe a one rep max with, with our, with our, like, elite level guys that are really making a big push and we're, we're cranking it. We'll do a one rep max maybe, maybe every three to six weeks. But to be honest, it's not, it's not the, it's not the number that they currently have in them because, you know, they can have a good night's sleep. They could, have just broken up with a girlfriend. They could have really good nutrition or really poor nutrition. That's going to throw these things off in a very short window. So what we're looking for is literally just a, a nice progression towards those numbers. So I would rather guys stick into you know set to set the two or two to five um, at the beginning and get really get their reps down and getting their quality reps down and then start really loading it up. And until you hit about three fifteen, we don't need to add any special. Um, you know, modifications of doing a lot of singles and, and doubles as far as, you know, in the gym. We just want to get them moving efficiently and getting their body to understand those reps. You don't get good at throwing a baseball by throwing it, you know, six times every other week. Right. You get good right. because you throw because you long toss and you work on different mechanical drills and then you get your flat ground work and then you start working pens and then in the game. So you need those reps to start building up. And that's why we need to increase our volumes at the beginning of training. So, so if guys are listening to this and they just want to, and they've never deadlifted before and they know they can touch their toes and, and they're just getting working into those heavier weights as far as like actually putting on a barbell, we want to, we would encourage you to do something like a three, five sets of five or three sets of five just to get yourself going and understanding the movement mechanics. And, and you have the best tool in the world right now, better than any coach out there. Um, on the fly, every single day, you have your phone. You can literally prop your phone up and look at those mechanics. And for for anybody that anybody that's on Instagram that tags me in a post, my Instagram handle is at Dr. Heenan. All you do is tag me in a post and say, "Hey, how's my form?" And I'll comment on there. And so on a lot of other coaches. So you can always get another set of eyes. And once you see what you're doing right and wrong, it's really easy to pick up on your own. So you don't need to have a coach there every single rep to fix you. You just need to make sure that you're consistently working on that form. That's awesome. I mean, you guys should really take them up on that because uh, I, I definitely have some experience with that of things that I were, that I was doing that, and you know, like they feel right when you're doing them. Right. But if you don't have that visual uh, cue and that coaching, if you can't, you know, it's hard to see what your body's doing when you're doing it. Right. Um, so I would definitely, that's a great option. So let's, let's move on to the, um, uh, to the next part of this. Um, so number two is the barbell reverse lunge. Yeah, so so the next one is our uh, stable power position is what I call it, the barbell reverse lunge. Um, and what we're looking for is is our body weight on the bar, 10 reps on one side, and then 10 reps on the other side. 
that is our minimum baseline. So the reverse lunge is is basically just the opposite motion of our throwing position. So when we when we go to throw off the mound, we're doing a forward lunge. But our reverse lunge, I I have found over time, it's easier on our knees, uh, loads our glutes and hips a little bit better, forces our core stability to be up a little bit more. Um, just a lot of little little tweaks in there that that. That's why I like that motion. And I'm not against forward lunges or split squats or anything like that. Um, and a lot of people take the 90-mile-an-hour formula and kind of say, oh, well, he only reverse lunges. Well, that's not true. We do a lot of things to get this number to be higher. But we want our minimum, uh, our, our ideal body weight or our body weight on the bar for 10 reps on each side. And that just allows to know that we can control those forces. I can't tell you how many people that we have uh, come in, whether high-level college or pro guys that can't lunge well and they can't control their own body weight. Um, I have a I have a great um, great story. I have a guy that we had a guy that was a um, left-hander, about six feet, about 205 pounds uh, in high school, uh, touched 96 on a regular basis, um, absolute absolute stud, one of the best pitchers in the country. Um, came to us uh, first day, running through a full assessment, everything looked good, and then and then. We did him a reverse lunge, just body weight, just want to see how he moved. And he literally toppled over. Uh, and I asked him, I was like, and I was, my mind was boggled. I'm like, I'm like, you have no history, no neck print, no neck problems, no shoulder, no back, no elbow, no nothing. He's like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm like, okay. And then we did it again. He, like, kind of caught himself, went through the motion. It was really ugly. And I was like, what? I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how are you not, like, in pain every day walking around, let alone, like, throwing a baseball? And he's like, I don't know, I'm good. And dad was over in the corner, and he's like, did you tell him you had two UCL surgeries? And <laughs> I was I was blown away. He's like, oh, well, I didn't have it right now, so I, I didn't think I needed to tell him. I was like, well, I was like, oh, my God. So so my, my whole thing with this, and this is, you know, this kind of leads into the weighted ball stuff, is you've got to be able to control your own motions and be able to control them with velocity and volume on a regular basis on the mound uh, or when you're running. I mean, this all this stuff belays well into running as well. But if he can't control his motion on the mound or his motion just in body weight, there's no way he's not going to break down the mound at some level. And it may not happen overnight, but as the reps continue to go, as far as volume, as far as throws, he's going he's gonna to break down. And no coincidence that he had two major elbow surgeries before he was 18 years old. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a tragedy right there. And, and I think that you know, a lot of people see that, that reverse lunge as something, oh, you know, that's a nice accessory exercise. Well, we have guys that we – have, we have freshmen in college that are reverse lunging 365 per reps. We have professional pitchers that are reverse lunging 455 per reps. I mean, that is some serious weight, and, and that – I mean, that means they can control – they hone their position and they can control their position really well on the mound. Yeah, that's great. Well, let, let's uh, – let's, so you brought up weighted balls while we're on it. Um, I'd love to get your opinion on 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 with weighted balls because it's you know it, it it's not anything new but it's all the rage you know so yeah. what are your thoughts on them? I I will go on the record and say I love weighted balls but I also think that they need to be used at the right time in the right place for the right person with all modalities. I think I think exercise um, I think exercise therapy. Um, drug interventions, um, weighted ball stuff. I think this is they're all medicines. They're all types of input we get to give the brain, and the brain is going to make the response it needs to um, a different outcome for every response we put in. So 
So when we just blindly give someone a weighted ball, I think we're doing a disservice and I think we're setting people up um, for failure. But I think, you know, the reason we utilize them is we don't utilize them with everybody. We utilize them on a very particular basis with guys that need them um, to reach certain goals. Uh, and, and by goals, I mean either to make sure that they can handle the volumes that they're going to be having in the upcoming season, to make sure that we're clearing up, you know, uh, I know Phil Phil and I will talk about some of this stuff. Sometimes we'll have an athlete um, that we share and and we'll – you know, modify some drills with a weighted ball, but that's not our the end all be all. You know, we got to movement screen these guys first. We got to do an orthopedic screen. We got to make sure that they have hit these basic metrics. Giving a guy that can't lunge a weighted ball, uh, a lunge with their body weight, and give them a weighted ball is literally like asking a new driver to go on a race car dra- uh, race car track and run 200 miles an hour. You're asking right. for for issues. Now, is there is there problems with weighted balls? Absolutely not, because I think I think a lot of the same things uh, can happen with a five ounce ball or throwing a football. But I just think yep. that you know we need to prepare our body for these movements first and make sure that they we're progressing them individually. And if there is pain or if there is discomfort or there starts to get tightness in the neck or shoulder or forearm, then that's a good time to shut it down and say, all right, well, why are you in pain? Why are you not feeling good? Uh, I like to say we're cautiously aggressive. I want to be aggressive with all of our athletes, but weighted balls are, are something that can highlight in inefficiencies very quickly, and those inefficiencies can be injuries very, very quickly. So my feeling on weighted balls, I, I, I'm very conservative on it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of of the, of the mindset that, you know, 20% up, 20% down. Um, I participated in years, you know, another lifetime, uh, some of those studies and, and saw the results of them. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of a four ounce, six ounce guy. How do you feel about the even, so let's say we've checked off all the boxes. What are your thoughts on those balls that go heavier than that? Cause I, I, I see them go real heavy. I don't see, I I see it, you know what I mean? I don't don't see it on the underload side. Well, so um, the the underload, the velocities on an underload scare me a little bit more than the overload just because the, I think the real reason that we have all these, a lot of these shoulder and elbow injuries, especially the elbow stuff, is we can't decelerate the humeral um, the humerus as quick as, as we need to, just that arm bone. And I think we, we have, that's where we get a lot of these velocities creep up and our body can't handle those, those forces. So that's where we start to break down. So an underweighted ball scares me a little bit more than an overweighted ball. Um, I know the research and is, is definitely indicating that a heavier ball is going to be more valgus stress on the elbow. There's no denying that, but the decelerating forces is where I, where I think we have a lot of issues. Um, I have no problem with our guys going heavier with the weighted balls. Now we're not we're not throwing around a three three pound weighted ball. I've seen some crazy stuff out there, and I'm sure you have too. Yeah. Where yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't think I don't think we need that. We go we go as heavy as a 14 ounce ball. But I actually have um I'll, I'll share with you you later. And actually, there's a post I have online on Instagram that that's a good one. I think a lot of good things happen when you utilize the right weighted ball for the right athlete at the right time. We've seen guys um, that that have terrible, and we never fix throwing mechanics. We just work on true body mechanics. But we see guys that come in that have terrible throwing mechanics, and we'll give them a weighted ball just to see how they move, and all of a sudden it clears up a lot of things. And I actually think that's, I actually think that's a, more of a core stability issue. Um, that, you know, that's way outside the conversation here. But 
I think it really is a core in, insufficiency and and giving them a weighted ball or a counterbalance of a weighted ball. So sometimes we'll put like a three pound ball in their in their lead arm is a huge huge effector of creating good arm mechanics. So I just think that you don't need to go crazy with it on either end. Like you said, we don't go very heavy on the balls, but we'll go as heavy as a 12 or 14 ounce ball, depending on the athlete, depending on the goal. But most of the time we're staying low in that nine, nine uh, ounce ball range. Yeah, it's funny. You see these things with these kids, these two ounce balls, you know, running 60 feet, curl hopping and throwing and, and the radar gun says 90. And you know, right. if you're a 90 mile an hour thrower now, you know. Um, yeah, so, exactly. Okay, cool. So let, let's pick up back up on this formula. We talked about deadlift. We talked about barbell reverse lunge. Uh, what's up next? The, um, we look at the chin-up as our, our key force transfer. So we look at can you transfer the force from your trunk stability all the way through your shoulders, all the way through your hands? So we look at a 250-pound chin-up for one rep which would be, you know, for a 200-pound athlete, we're looking to add 50 pounds of external weight to that athlete, so strapping it on them, whether it's a, you know, a weighted vest or, or weight hanging from, um, you know, belt, uh, and totaling a minimum of 250 pounds. And what that does for us is, is it allows us to say, all right, this athlete has enough strength to both concentrically and eccentrically, so, so pulling ourselves up and decelerating, decelerating ourselves down from a chin-up, um, they have enough strength to cover those motions, which if you think about uh, a baseball throw, we're decelerating the second half of that throw. There's a lot of um, distraction forces on our shoulder as we're releasing that ball in that last little blip of, of getting that ball out of our fingertips. So with those, those, um, those forces, we need to make sure that we can handle that stress. And I think this is the number one, uh, the number one factor on the 90 mile in our formula to predict whether or not we're going to have a shoulder elbow injuries because a lot of guys can't control themselves all the way up and all the way down. And that's a big issue. And it needs to be full shoulder flexion, arm extended at the bottom, and then bring yourself all the way up without poking your neck forward and reaching with your neck. You need to be nice and fluid through that motion so that that will transfer to good mechanics on the mound and good just movement mechanics, not even arm mechanics. Yeah, we uh, Mike Reinald was on. I'm sure you know Mike, and he he was talking about yep. that. Uh, we talk about what's the what's how fast the arm is going and what what the the shoulder everything has to stabilize. That I'm pretty sure you said it was it was seven thousand um, rotations. Like if you if you were to let it go, yep. if you were to let the arm go and spin around, like seven thousand rotations per second. That was the speed um, that your arm goes from external rotation to internal rotation. And your, your, yeah. your body's and trying to hold all that together. Pretty, pretty wild. And that's, and that's the thing is that a lot of the research right now is, is especially for UCL injuries, which is where we're really interested because this is, you know, a pretty bit ec- epidemic we're having right now. Um, the research is showing that cadavers can only handle 50, 50 newtons of, of valgus force on, on the elbow. Now, and, you, and we can make arguments that are cadavers the right – the right things to be studying on or whatnot, but let's just take that 50 number and say, all right, well, the body can handle 50 units of force there, but when we're throwing, it's anywhere between, you know, 60 and 120. So where's the rest of the makeup on that? Where Where is the breakdown? Because we should be breaking down on every single throw. Well, that means we have muscle mass that's going to cover those, those tendons and ligaments um, that allows us to protect 
those motions. So I think the breakdown is really inefficient mechanics is a is a huge one. Too much volume, uh, too much volume of throwing, and also not having enough muscle mass and enough strength to decelerate those those forces and have those forces run through the muscle mass instead of through the um, the ligaments, which is where we get that breakdown. Yes. Um. This is. I, I just really hope the pitching coaches that are listening to this. <laughs> it's always my wish is that you guys are really. Uh, I don't. I don't. What I've learned with guys like Josh and guys like Mike Reinold and, and guys are. I don't need to. I don't need to be as smart as them. I, I really don't. I think we all bring different skill sets. What I need to do is, is have a relationship with them and work with them, and we kind of put the. You know, I, I like to use the chocolate and the peanut butter you know, together, and now we've got something that just makes it, you know, makes it, the whole thing taste good, you know. So I think, I hope that uh, the, you're, as you're listening to this, you're seeing that there's a lot, there's, there's just, you need a lot of people to kind of help you through this, whether you're a coach, you're a player, you're a parent, that they have to have more voices there. I mean, just this stuff, I, I can listen to it all day, um, but I, I just learned a long time ago that I'm going to let these guys be really good at what they do. And I'm going to be really good at what I do, and I'm going to try and make friends with all these guys and have relationships with them so that we work together um, for the betterment of all of our pitchers. So um, so this last one is uh, is interesting to me. I, I, I love this one. We're, we're going to talk about – we talked about it a little bit before, but let's talk about your body weight of where that needs to be in this formula. Yeah, and, and that body weight number, um, <laughs> like I said before, is it needs to be that 2.5 times your body weight in height and inches. Uh, and then is um, is our minimum body weight. So like I said before, it was you know if I'm six, if I'm five six, excuse me five nine, I need to be 180, uh, 172 pounds is give or take where it needs to be. And then um, you know the last one I have here is is the arm power category, which we need to throw uh, a minimum of 300 feet in long toss. And that's something that we don't really work on with our athletes too much. And that's where we rely on the pitching coaches. And, and the baseball coaches to oversee making sure that they're progressing with their long toss and making sure that they're, they're including that because just basic physics and we can argue again, uh, on launch angles and all that and crow hopping and all that stuff. All I want to know with the 90 mile an hour formula is can we cover that amount of ground? If you can cover 300 feet, generally speaking, you can throw nine, uh, 90 miles an hour and it has to come 90 miles an hour out of the hand. So, we know that you have it in you. Now can you translate that into the mound? Right. right. So when we talk about body weight and gaining weight, um, let's just clarify here that we, we, you're not talking about stopping at Dairy Queen on the way home from school every day. Yeah. Correct? I mean, that's, that's not the, well, that's not the, the, the plan. No, the, the, goal, the goal is is obviously muscle mass because muscle mass is going to be able to generate force. Uh, I will say that I think that, I don't, we never want our athletes to be, to be overweight, um, one, for health reasons, but also, two, just because it's not going to really add much to their ability um, as, far as, uh, as far as generating that force. But what I do, but what we have noticed, and if you look, if you look right through the hard throwers um, uh, of the MLB, uh, take a guy like CeCe Sabathia. I mean, he's got a lot of weight behind him, and, you know, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of extra fat to him. And I'm not advocating that anybody should get, you know, don't get on, don't get on the 90 mile an hour formula and get fat. That's not the goal. The goal is to to get lean and strong. Uh, I think, but I think being five or six percent body fat as a pitcher may be detrimental in the long run. I think that 
you know, there may be a more optimal range of, you know, that 8 to 15% body fat range or 8 to 12% uh, just because there's no need to be super lean and you're not fighting your, your um, uh, you're not, you're not trying to overcome your body like you are with sprinting or running. So a little extra um, fat mass is not a terrible thing. And I'm, and again, I'm not advocating to be fat. I'm just saying that, that I think that momentum potential is important. It's a key piece of the puzzle and we want as much muscle mass as we can get on those athletes but but we also want to make sure that we can get as much um, weight as we can on them too to make sure that they can generate that force and be healthy so it's a nice balance of all of all of those uh, qualities yeah and and I, I think you know I'm sure we're on the same page here where I see a lot of players that, and I hear this a lot from dads like he's so muscular he looks great and he's, you know, he's got abs and he's got all these things. And, and I, and I, like in the back of my mind, I'm going, boy, you, you wasted a lot of time on things that look good. Um, where maybe if you, maybe if you didn't waste so much time on that stuff, you could, work, you know, spend some time on things that will actually help, like, you know, developing muscle mass and maybe not being so worried about being shredded. It's okay if you got, you know, um, a few pounds on there. Just, just give me like your, your thoughts around that. Um, as, cause I know it's something that dads are up, you know, they face, but their kids, you know, they all want to, they translate, Hey, the kid looks good. That must mean he's going to play good. Right. And, and I think, you know, I would rather take our athletes who, who can move well through the formula and can do their, you know, 250 pound chin up is no easy task for someone that does not do chin ups regularly. Um, right. It yep. is, it, there, there's a lot that needs to go on there and, and uh, a little secret of, of chin-ups is that, you know, you're going to have to overcome your body weight at some point. So so you're going to want to be leaner to be able to hit your chin-ups and body weight. And I think I think that, you know, the number here of uh, 250 pounds for one rep is our baseline, but I think it should be 250 pounds um, for one rep or 10 chin-ups and 10 body weight chin-ups uh, is really where we're looking at right now. Um, the 251 has uh, pounds metric has has run through with all of our athletes but i think tension ups is also should be another baseline so if you're a 300 pound athlete i think you should be able to do tension ups which would be a very tough task but at that point you're going to be a lot leaner you're going to look better if you can move your body weight well while you're uh, move your body well with that much body weight um than just focusing on on doing like bicep curls or, or working on your abs there it, it, the end goal needs to be figured out a long time before this. And, and I know this is stuff, you know, I've seen you speak, and, and I know especially with, like, hitting mechanics and throwing mechanics and stuff like that, it's we got to figure out where you want to be, and then let's, let's do everything possible to get you there. If you want to look great, that's awesome, and I have no problem with that. Let's get you with someone that wants – if you want to be a bodybuilder, be a bodybuilder. But the second that you start working with us – uh, and you say your goal is to be, uh, you know, a high-level college athlete or high-level professional athlete, we're going to cater your training to make sure that you're healthy enough to run onto the field every single day and be darn close to 100%, if not 100%, and that you're going to be able to move really efficiently so that you can be the best athlete on the field so that you can perform the best and you have the most opportunities. If those are not in line with your goals – then, you know, you're, you're not – if your training is not in line with those goals, then you're not doing the right things to reach your goals. So I think that's kind of, uh, you know, fruitless for, for a lot of the athletes out there just doing bench press to look good. Yep. Amen. 
Um, well, let's get let's give everybody all the information on how they can contact you. There's opportunities to to work with you. You've got some great programs. You got, you write this great blog, and you're also you have facilities. Let's let's give everybody all that information so they know um, how best to get in touch with you. Yeah. So the easy easiest way to grab me is um, through my personal website, joshheenan.com. Um, our company website is advancedtherapyperformance.com. The company is Advanced Therapy and Performance. We have uh, two locations in Connecticut. One's in Norwalk and one is in Stanford. Uh, and I am kind of branched out through the rest of the country. But the easiest way to grab us is either through my website or at uh, Dr. Heenan on uh, Instagram. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to answer emails and uh, interact with people and always answering questions, as I know you are too. So, you know, this is a big community, and we're going to be launching um, – a shoulder and elbow research study pretty soon uh, where we're going to take in a lot of information and we want to be able to have the largest shoulder and elbow study for baseball players ever done. Uh, and we would love to get, get and interact with every single athlete that is out there playing baseball that wants to prevent their shoulder and elbow injuries. Uh, and then we're going to track them through a nice longitudinal study and give them some tools along the way to see if we can curtail this epidemic of, uh, of some injuries. Awesome. So uh, um, I, I encourage you guys to reach out and get in touch with Josh. Follow what he's doing. And these are the things that I read, guys. I mean, I should be honest with you. We have, we've had Mike on. We've had all Lance on. We've had all these other coaches, Chris Giselle and, and Troy. And these are the guys that, you know, if you want to know who's coaching the coach, um, you know, Josh and I have met, but this is the first time we've really had a chance to talk. But he's kind of been coaching me uh, through these all these resources he just gave you, you know, I, I, I really look to these guys who are, are just so brilliant at what they do and their knowledge of the body and how they can really help us help our pitchers. Um, so these are the guys that are kind of coaching the coaches, you know, so please pay attention, you know, and check out everything that he's got. So uh, Josh, let's play, uh, let's play a game. Let's play a little, um, like maybe we'll do, I don't know if it'd be 20 questions, but it'll be a few questions. <laughs> um, what in one word, Baseball health. Proactive. Baseball health. Proactive. Nice. Um, what's your favorite exercise for you personally? Uh, the push-up. What do you think? What do you think is the first thing every pitcher should do after he listens to this podcast? Uh, sign, sign up for my newsletter. I really think there's a lot of good information. <laughs> Honestly, no, I'll give. I'll, yeah, no, I agree. A lot of good information, and there's I have a couple hours of um, presentations for free out there, and and um, and question question what they're what people are saying. If I had all the answers, like I said before, every one of our athletes would be throwing 100 miles an hour. Um, I I really you know I I cherish what you're doing. I cherish what Phil does. Mike Reinhold, Eric Cressy, um, Brian D'Onofrio is my right-hand man at Stanford. We banter and question stuff every day. We don't all agree on everything. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions to be answered, and I think you got to be, I think you got to be proactive with your your um, questions and make sure that you're not just taking anything I say for granted because I might not be right. What does every baseball dad need to know to help their kids succeed? At the be at the beginning, they got to be 
they got to be having a great time and having fun and doing it for the right reasons. And then they need to treat their, their body as a temple and they need to learn to move well. Once they move well, really good things happen very quickly. What's your favorite team? Boston Red Sox. Favorite player? Okay, so we're recording this after game one of the World Series. Who wins the World Series and in how many games? I go I go Astros in five. Wow. Wow. Really? Yep. I gotta know why. I could be wrong. I I, just, <laughs> I like I you know, I, I like I like their chemistry. I really do. That could be that. That is a bold statement, but I just I like their chemistry. I like what they're bringing. This, I mean, they this may turn out complete opposite of that. They may lose it in five, but uh, I just I just have a good feeling about the Astros right now. You've coached a lot of athletes, and this will be the last question. Um, there's some athletes that are just like better humans, right? That just you know, LeBron James was born with things that that you and I don't have. Um, but there's there's guys that that seem to make the most with what they got. What do you feel, the athletes you've coached, um, what's special about the guys that have achieved the most? They are so hungry for knowledge and so hungry to get out there and challenge things every single day. It's, it's, a, it's a battle, and I think that they're just, they just want to learn and they want to get better, and they won't accept no for an answer. Awesome. So, guys, you know, if you're in any of those areas that, that you can get access to Josh or access to one of his you know, trainers he's worked with, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to go to joshunion.com, sign up for the newsletter, um, get on the list, because um, the first question I asked Josh was baseball health, and he said proactive. And I know he's probably as frustrated as I am is that a lot of times nobody cares about an injury until they're hurt. Um, but it's the biggest thing that we see, and I think that's why guys like us, we get – we're passionate about this. We're frustrated about it because we see so much on the other side. And it's kind of like one of those things where you don't know until it happens to you. And, and the, the odds are if you're going to pitch for any, any length of time, if you're 15 years old, you plan on pitching for the next 10 years, you're going to have something. You're going to have something. And to be proactive about it is really the key. And going to Josh's site, getting on his blog, following what he does, he has, the, he has information that we are not going to be able to provide you. I wish we could. It's not my. It's not what God made me. Um, we so so get on their list. Follow what the follow what the uh, follow what Josh is doing, and uh, I know it'll be it'll help you. So Josh, thanks so much for for coming on. I appreciate your time, and um, wish you all the best, man. Hey, thanks for putting this out. You know, this is resources I wish we had when we were younger, and and I'm glad that we're able to get this out and provide good stuff and ask have people start asking better questions. Hey guys, it's Paul again. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. We really hope you got a lot out of it. We have so much more to come for you. And thank you so much for trusting us with your baseball education, also the development with your child. It's something that we take very seriously and really means the world to me and the rest of the staff here at Paul Rick Baseball and Baseball Dads Podcast. So thank you so much. We would love it if you would leave a five-star rating and a great review of this podcast. That's how it helps us get the word out about the podcast so that other dads can share in this information that we need so much. Also, don't forget to go to Baseball Dads Newsletter where you can get a free trial subscription in our Baseball Dads Newsletter. Again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I can't tell you what it means to us that you would tune in, and we're just loving bringing this information to you. So, again, thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next show.
Hey, it's Paul Reddick. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I wanted to let you know I have a new book out specifically for baseball dads, and I would love for you to check it out. You can go to baseballdadsbook.com. All the information is there and a pretty good discount for our podcast listeners. So again, it's baseballdadsbook.com. Thanks.